Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me in Centering today is a most refreshing human being. We have Joseph George of George and George ADR Group in Jacksonville, Florida. The acronym ADR, ADR stands for Alternative Dispute Resolution, for those of you who aren't familiar. Joseph is a Florida Supreme Court certified county mediator, a Florida Supreme Court qualified arbitrator, a family law mediator for the past two years, and previously a hostage negotiator for four years. Joseph is on the program because of his bold, honest, in-your-face style of mediating, and because there is similarity between being held hostage in your marriage or in your divorce and being an actual hostage in a violent crime. Wonderful to have you on the program, Joseph. Let's get started. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, This is going to be good. So, yes, I am always in pursuit of people who are refreshingly different in their approach. And, Joseph, I find that too many times mediators will talk about the they will talk about the profile of the person who can go into mediation and in my opinion, quite unrealistically, I don't know that everybody is right for mediation and I'm always looking for a different approach. So first of all, from you, what are your qualifications for accepting people in a family law mediation? When I do um, mediation for attorneys, uh, because I do do the mediation with attorneys who do the family divorce. So I do the separation of assets um, portion of the uh, family mediation for the divorce couple. So I handle the separation of assets part. Um, and what I look for is I look for uh, to make sure that the parties are there in good faith because um, that just makes the process a whole lot easier. And uh, we, as we know, um, not every uh, marriage is always, um, uh, what we should say, uh, so easygoing with the couple. Sometimes they're bickering amongst themselves. You know, you know, one wants the dog, the other one wants the same dog. And how do you split a dog down the middle? You just can't. So that's where you come to negotiation and say, well, okay, who's going to get the dog? Who who? Is the one person want the dog or they just want to aggravate the other person and say they want the dog just to egg them on? So sometimes we have to read between the lines of the parties and see who's actually there to actually resolve the dispute versus the other one who's actually there to create the dispute and make it a little bit more malicious, as I like to say. When you feel that somebody needs kind of a, pardon my metaphor, a come to Jesus moment, this is what really interested me about you when we met and we talked. Can you, do you remember, can you simulate what you told me is your style if you find that somebody's just recalcitrant or not really being honest about what they want, maybe just or avoiding responsibility. Do you remember? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I just tell them, hey, <laughs> you, you, you got to tell them, hey, let, let's, let's rethink uh, our thinking here and, and let's be here to actually settle this dispute. And sometimes you have to say, hey, stop. You know, you have to get, sometimes you have to get a little aggressive with sometimes with the parties. Um, yeah. But you got to read again. You always got to read the room. And I always tell other mediators when they call me up, I would say, you got to read the room. You got to know who to say certain things to. So you got to read the room. But sometimes you have to be a little bit forceful in your mediation because uh, there's no thing that there's no cookie cutter mediation. Um, you can't do the same thing for every single party. So you have to treat every single mediation completely different from the next. But you have to understand sometimes as a mediator, you can't just let the parties control the mediation. You have to control the situation because, again, you are the mediator. You're there to assist them in resolving their dispute. And the only way they could resolve the dispute, 
is if they're both listening. And that's the problem when you have arguments is that if both people is talking and nobody's listening. So sometimes you have to tell the other one, hey, can you just be quiet a little bit? Listen to what this person has to say. Put yourself in their shoes and see their point of view of how things is. And then you tell the same thing to the other party. And sometimes when you actually tell them that and they sit back and they breathe a little bit, that's when you get the mediation to actually start going in a direction to resolve in the dispute. Because again, if everybody's talking, nobody's listening. So true. And I like the part where you said the mediator really has to control the mediation. In so doing, though, are you, do you come to the mediation with any preconceived notion of what's the actual reality going on? Or do you come in very open-minded and read the room and go from there? I, um, I exercise a lot of active listening techniques when I'm actually with the parties. So I always go in there with open-minded because, again, things shift real quickly when it comes to especially separation of assets. Um, things shift very quickly because you're dealing with emotions. And when you're dealing with emotions, things tend to, uh, the water gets to be a little bit choppy. So there's no smooth sailing. It gets real choppy. So you have to kind of create that environment where everything is smooth sailing for both parties. So you have to, again, you have to be very forceful with them on why they're both there in that particular mediation to help generate options for them. Because you're there to help them, assist them with resolving that particular mediation. And uh, when it comes to separation of assets, to make it easy for both parties, I always ask, say, write down your wants, your must-haves. Once you put your must-haves down on paper, then I look at it. And then I start to join to see exactly what both parties want the most. And that's when I start to have the conversation to see exactly, okay, both of you want this, uh, this, this picture, this Picasso. Okay, so you want this Picasso. She wants the Picasso. Who really wants the Picasso, you know? So then you, you just, once you start to talk to them and you say, and this, they have two other items that they both want, then you say, hey, do you really want the Picasso or do you want the Monet? <laughs> you know? And then... <laughs> so, because so, where there's a Picasso, there's got to be a Monet or a Warhol. It has to be. <laughs> they go hand in hand. <laughs> they do. Okay. I'm going to give you a situation that is not unfamiliar to every single mediator. And I don't care what state you're in. And here's the situation. There mm -hmm. are minor children. Yes. The person who makes more money is apparently going to be the payor if there's a significant amount of difference in, in, in the two incomes between the parents. And even if there's an even division of time, if there's a significant amount, uh, enough difference in the fi financial um, earnings, then there's going to be a payment. But the person who makes significantly more says, you know, I've been thinking about cutting down on my work. I'm tired. Or if you're in a job like police, where you mm -hmm. do get to have overtime, you know, I'm just tired of working overtime. I think I'm going to cut back now. Let's revise the child support. How would you handle that? Oh boy, uh, when it comes to kids uh, getting involved with kids, and that's why I say I, I mostly work on the separation of assets part, but I work with the attorney side by side and I've watched how they actually handle it. And they, they usually go um, with the kids first. They usually try to solve the, the kids problem first to uh, make sure that that doesn't spiral out of control. Because once you get the kids pop um, resolve first and everything seems to go smooth sailing because again it's all about the kids and you never want DCF to get in, involved with, with that portion because nobody never wants the government to jump right on and tell them what to do so okay, I'm going to be leading the witness here because I mm -hmm. really really want you to get to where you made me sit up and pay attention to you when we were talking and there was a point and I said okay you're different I, I really want to talk to you and introduce you to the audience you were describing a situation that was getting a little murky 
And it was one of your mediations and you were describing the way you responded and you were saying to one of the parties, come on, you know, this is your responsibility. You're the, you're the one that made the responsibility. Now you got to step up and, and, and be responsible. Do you remember what that was about? Or because this is a way of talking that most mediators don't talk. And sometimes you need that. Yeah. yeah. So that was one of the mediations where it was, uh, uh, I think that one was a landlord and tenant uh, dispute where there was actually, um, the guy was actually um, withholding some items just, just, just you know, because he kind of still had feelings for the person and he's kind of withholding some items. And that's why I turned to him and I said, you know, hey, be a man. This is not this is not the way we act. Be a man. You know, when you went into this relationship, you went into it full head steam, knowing exactly what you was going to get. Now that you guys is actually going in a different direction, you know, be a man. Let her have it. It's material stuff. Let her have what she needs. Let her have her stuff. Um, this material stuff, you could get it back, but you can't get back a friendship. She will respect you more if you actually let her have it, let her move forward with these items, and then you guys could continue to be friends. Just say, hey, listen, I messed up. I was wrong. Um, I'm going to let you have these things, items. I would like to still continue to have some type of friendship if that would work. I know there might be some time involved. you know. So sometimes you have to actually allow them and say, hey, what if I, what if you say this? to that person when we go back into the other room. This might actually move it along for you because you still have this person. So sometimes you actually have to say, hey, stop. Let's think about this. You was wrong. You know you was wrong. Let's fix it now. Let's don't do the back and forth, you know, the tennis court. I like to say the tennis court issue. Let's not knock the ball back and forth. Let's dive right on in, solve this problem because you messed up. You know you messed up. Now let's solve this problem and just say, hey, I'm sorry. Because sometimes I've learned when it comes to these type of disputes, sometimes the other person just want to hear you say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm human. I'm sorry. And then, you know, and sometimes I've seen them break down. I go, that's all I wanted you to hear. I don't want all this stuff. I don't care about this material stuff. I just wanted you to say, I'm sorry. That's it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And and I agree with you. And genuinely say I'm sorry, not okay, fine, I'm sorry. Not that. Yeah. But a genuine I'm sorry, man, it moves mountains. Yep. I've seen where people I've worked with certain celebrity clients where I've seen, you know, ten million ten million dollars means nothing. The sorry works more, it has calls more value than the money. And the big house, the Lamborghini, the Mercedes, the Maybach, it, that little sorry and, and being genuine and coming from the heart, that holds more value than the materialistic things that you are offering. And believe it, I've seen people, I've seen grown men break down and cry just to hear the other person say, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. And they just say, you know what? We can just be friends. Tell me what you want and we can go. And I've seen the woman say, I don't want nothing. All I wanted was that apology. That's it. <laughs> I know that 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 blows me away all the time. And I've seen this in, happen in front of me too. And it's just like, wow, the power of human connection mm -hmm. is it's far more golden than money. You know, we're yes. all focused on the money because that's, you know, it's an economic relationship, marriage, and therefore it's going to be about money. Even with child support and children, it's about money. Yes. But at the bottom of everything is we do have to resolve this relationship somehow, some way beyond money. We are human beings that connected for however long we connected. We shared life. We shared potential goals. And just that human aspect mm -hmm. over and above assets, it's, 
it's it's so powerful. Yep. Yeah, I wish I could teach this. Okay, so Joseph, I have to hear about being a hostage negotiator. And is this not similar to being held hostage in a divorce, in a marriage? How do you handle the hostage situation? Well, when you're working on a hostage situation, you have a you have a team. You have your co- you have your chain of command. You have the guy who's gonna um, be directly talking to the hostage. Then you have the guy you, we call him your communications guy. So he's out there, you know, pulling uh, reports and information, collecting it from where social media, from family and friends, from you know wherever they have to collect the information from, passing it along to the lead guy who's actually talking to the hostage. Um, and it's 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 similar to the same thing because um, we all want everything to be resolved in a decent, kindly manner. We all want to be respected, um, and it's the same in in a hostage situation. Um, the hostages they want to be respected. Some, you know, the typical ones. I mean, some you do have with mental health issues, and that's a that's a whole different topic that could turn um, differently because when you need medication. Um, you're not in your right mind at the same time. Um, but holding someone hostage is, is the same thing um, for certain um, law enforcement issues. But when you transfer that same hostage negotiation um, situation into um, the divorce aspect or relationship aspect, it's it's dissimilar because you, you I've seen where relationships are held hostage just because someone um, feels that you know they're um, what you call a narcissistic person um, they, they want to be right their their um, way of thinking is the only way to think um, so um, the other person always feel like they need to be um, they, they're trying to get out but then they still kind of go back it's it's like that magnet situation. You know, they, they go away and then they get pulled right back. So, but you have to talk yourself out of situations sometimes, you know. Um, and I've seen women done it many times where they've talked themselves to going back. A reason why they have to be with this particular person. And that's when the, re- the relationships get shaky. Um, in divorces, you know, particularly it gets shaky. And, and again, I've worked with attorneys on these matters. Um and that's when um, you have to negotiate the separation of asset. Like if it's if it's a house, um, <laughs> that gets even tricky because then you like go, okay, how are we gonna negotiate a house? <laughs> you know, are we gonna get a chainsaw and split it in half and say this is your side, this is my side? Or we and get the blue tape option, just roll the blue tape and say this is my side of the room. But when it comes to houses and you know that type of particular asset. You have to sit down and see what both parties really want. If both parties really want the house or, or it was a joint um, purchase together, um, sometimes it's best to just say, hey, we'll get a realtor to come inside, um, sell the house, and then you guys could take the portion, whatever portion you want, if you have 60-40 or you want to do 50-50. Um, you have to negotiate that with parties. Um, the trickiest part of um, the separation of asset is the credit. If you guys both got joint accounts together, that's where it gets tricky. Because sometimes you want to cancel your account. Um, a lot of people feel like if they're going to um, be in that joint account together, if they cancel it, it's going to affect their credit. Sometimes it don't affect their credit financially if they're going to close their account. But again, everybody have their own situations. Um, cars is another, another tricky thing. Um, somebody, you know, the particular side wants the car. Um, you could either sell it or the other person could say, hey, I, I have two cars. I don't need that particular car. But if it's a guy who has a 10 car collection of, you know, some very antique cars and the other side wants to be mean to say, well, he has all these car collections that's worth over, you know, $20 million. I would like some of that assets too, because again, if you don't have a prenup, then that's where these things fall into where both attorneys is have to negotiate or sometimes attorneys bring negotiators like myself in to help negotiate um, those type of assets because it gets tricky. And sometimes you need a skillful person who understands these type of assets to help negotiate um, for the attorneys. Okay. Let's go back to the hostage negotiation again. I, mm-hmm. I love this idea. 
Um, so you have, what's the hostage takers call? We know what the hostage is called, the person who wants to be let free. The other person is called the what? The hostage other taker? Than the crim- other than the criminal, what is that person <laughs> called? We, um, <laughs> let's see what we call them. I can't remember what we call them. I, I usually just call them um, the, the guys that's on the inside because we always try not to label them because you don't want to put them in a box. Again, when it comes to hostage taking, you always want to respect them um, and treat them like human beings, no matter what. Um, because again, sometimes it's medication, it's it's mental. So sometimes they don't actually have control over what they're doing, like a schizophrenia and things like that. They need to be medicated. And if they miss their medication, things happen. So we, they, they, you know, the, the people I work with always try not to put labels on people because sometimes you'll encounter the same person within you know two, three times a year. It all depends on the state or, or that particular person. So you don't want to. Would it be fair to call that person just the perpetrator? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you I mean, can. That's all. We have, um, to, we have roles in, in, in crimes. We have the yeah. victim <laughs> and then we have the perpetrator. Okay. So we have the perpetrator. Joseph, I can't imagine that anybody who is a perpetrator of, um, you know, a hostage takeover is clear thinking. Are they? Are there people that are actually clear thinking that do this? Um, sometimes you do. Yeah. You have people who, who I mean, in life, in everything you do in life, you're going to have your good, you, you know, your, your modern day every people, and then you're going to have your bad people who just who just bad, um, who plan things out, and they're very smart and uh, meticulous on what they do. So um, those are the ones that that makes our job a little bit more challenging with the demands that they they, they request from um, the team. Um, so you always have to be very careful with those ones. Um, but, but I try not to get too deep into the hostage stuff because this is a separation of asset. And, um, no, 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 no. This is a comparison. Them. You are yeah. here for the comparison. You're not getting <laughs> away from this at all. We are comparing <laughs> because there are too many people typically women, typically Mm -hmm. women, who feel like they have been held hostage in several ways in their marriage. One of the biggest ways, and this comes up constantly, is they don't really understand the, they don't know, not that they don't understand, they're smart women. They don't know the extent of the family's assets. They are Mm -hmm. not given access to a joint bank account. They have their own bank account and their spouse puts some money in it for them to spend on themselves and food. And they must, um, they must explain. Uh, why they spent the money they spent and on what. And then so really feeling like they're being held hostage. So now it comes time for, I can't take this anymore. I've got to get divorced, but how am I going to pay for an attorney? They feel held hostage in the marriage Mm -hmm. and the divorce, or they figure out a way to pay an attorney. They file for divorce. Now they're in mediation. And, or they have to go to trial because the other party can't mediate. And they say that they feel ho- held hostage there because they still don't know the extent of everything. And they've always felt controlled to a large extent by their spouses. This to me sounded very much like an actual hostage yes. situation. Is it not comparable? Yes, it is. Um, they, 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 they have a, a very strong similarity because, and, and, and you know, sometimes those, uh, we call them little domestic disputes, um, those actually can turn into hostage situation where the boyfriend just, you know, she goes off, she do something. And, you know, if it's, especially if it's a jealous boyfriend, they just snap them and it becomes a whole hostage situation. So, you know, that, that's why, you know, there's, there's places where women um, can go to seek those type of um, help um, for those situations. But you got, again, you always have to read the lines on the type of um, person that you mean, because women do it too. So it's not just women, men, it's women too um, have that forceful role. It's a smaller percentage of men. And believe it or not, a lot of men don't report things because of their, their ego. 
I do so, believe it. I do believe so it. That, so yeah. that, that that takes a lot, but it's yeah, it's the same thing. It's 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 the same thing. Um, when you feel held hostage in your marriage, um, and you you with a spouse who is very controlling, um, he's you know he got the password to your phone, so he's in your Facebook account. He's you know he doesn't want you to go out with your friends. Um, you know, he, he's in your LinkedIn, seeing who you're connecting to on LinkedIn. He's asking you questions. Why are you um, talking to this person? Um, he controls your friends. I don't want you to see, let's say, I don't want you to see Mary anymore. Um, I don't think she's the right friend for you. So it, it's, it's the similar thing. And again, those are things that actually could spiral into a situation um, if, you don't, if it's not checked um, early. But again, these are things that um, it's out of my realm. <laughs> There's more, they fall a little bit more into a psychology uh, uh, um, adopt situation. So I don't want to get to where I'm actually, people feel like I'm giving them advice. But definitely, I like to say it's, it's a similarity with the divorce um, and relationship. Um, hostage taking um, is, is, again, it, it's out there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's strong. And these little... Um, I don't want to say little, uh, let me not use that choice of word, um, because what I may think is small is huge to other people. Good so, point. Um, yeah, good um, point. Um, okay, so in my understanding of how one would confront an actual hostage situation, you know, a, a violent mm-hmm. crime situation, versus you're in a mediation and you can clearly see there's a power imbalance. Mm -hmm. One person is very alpha. The other one really is very submissive. And you want everybody to be able to speak up for themselves. In a hostage situation, are you not trying to relax and calm down the perpetrator and really focus on what the perpetrator is actually asking for, what their goals are, what they want to accomplish uh, by taking this other person, you know, as a hostage in order to get what they need in other ways. And then you, you go over to the power imbalance inside of a mediation and you get to see what the marriage was like, right? You, mm-hmm. you get to see who controlled who. And how do you get, how do you address that power imbalance in a family law mediation? Even though you're talking about assets, you still have a power imbalance. Yes. Um, So again, it's all about, um, I apply the same things in in mediation from my hostage training, which again, in hostage training, um, they teach you about um, active listening. So that's the same thing in mediation. Empathy. You have to. You have to. You know, feel for what the person's saying, but at the same time, you have to um, um, create a report with the person to actually build that relationship. And then influence. That's another one that they they teach us in training. Um, then you have behavioral change. So you have to look at the person' behavioral change when it comes to because they'll shift back and forth. You know, um, in their behavior. So and then body language is another thing you want to to watch. Um, so it's, it's the same thing. Um, and, and that's why I say, um, negotiation, hostage negotiation and mediation. Sometimes I call them the, the, uh, the stepbrothers. <laughs> I can <laughs> understand they share, that. Joseph, yeah, they share a lot of like. They do. What did you mean by influence? One of the aspects in, in hostage negotiation is influence. What do you mean by that? So influence when you try to, um, let the person know exactly what you want to do and you try to build that report with them, that trust you want to do. You want to earn their trust. Um, that, that way you get them to work with you on certain things and get things moving. So you also, you have, you have, and that's what that said, you have to build that report. It's so important to build that report with that person, but that active listening is so much important because if you listen to what they're actually saying, then you know how to proceed with them, with that report. You know how to inject certain certain words, open-ended sentences and things like that with them to get them to give you what you want and they still get what they want, but in a safe manner. 
Understand, understand. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Joseph, what's the difference? And I'm looking at my notes from when we spoke earlier. What's the difference for you between options versus advice when you're mediating? Options, uh, I always lay options out on the table for the parties. And I, I usually get their consent before I do. I say, hey, I got some options to help you guys resolve. It seems like you guys is not coming with nothing to the table. Do you guys want me to list some options out for you to help this move along? And I'd write down my little options. Option one is, you know, you want to spend more time with the kids. He, he He's busy. He's always traveling, but he's home on the weekends. Can he get the kids on the weekends? That's an option right there. Um, option two, I know you guys don't want to even see each other, but you guys bought this house together. It was a beautiful home. It was supposed to be a forever home. Now, what do we do? Do we sell it? Would you want to live in a house with the kids? And then, you know, since he travels and he's most of the time on the road, maybe he could get an apartment somewhere and let you and the kids have the house. So that's another option. Um, and you're just laying this out there for them. So you're giving them a roadmap to resolve in the dispute. And a lot of mediators, and I've, I meet some mediators and I'm not bashing anybody. Everybody does things different. And sometimes there's some mediators that sit back and they let both parties figure something out. And then if it comes to an impasse, it's an impasse. I like to give them the best options for them to resolve their dispute. That way I feel like I've done my job and I didn't waste their time or money. Because again, mediations, it's still a cost on both parties, even though they're divorcing. It's a less cost than litigation or going to court um, and battling out in public. It's private, it's confidential. But again, I like to lay the options out. And what was the other part of the question? Advice. When do you, if you ever give advice? Giving advice is strongly um, <laughs> is strongly frowned upon. But again, if the if, as long as it's not legal advice, you don't want to do that. Give legal advice because even attorneys, mediation is not about you know it's it's gets into that um, that gray area because mediation is supposed to be a more confidential setting where you can't give legal advice. It's for you to assist the parties in resolving the dispute. But um, there's some ways where, again, you give strategic options. It's similar to advice, but it's not given full advice. So you're not saying, hey, I would, if I was me, this is what I would do. And I think this is the best option for you, you know? So you could give strategic. Strategic options is how I like to word it, strategic options. But you, you always involve that both parties into that process, that way they both understanding what's going on because you say, and you always have to use the word, hey, you guys can't seem to come to a good resolution um, yet, but you guys are very close to resolution, but I would like to help you with this process if you would allow me to. Good. Very, very good. And, and a lot of times uh, people will turn to you and say, after they've shown you how their conversation has gone prior to entering the mediation. This is what I want. This is what he or she wants. And we just can't get past that. So what should we do? I always find that to be an interesting point in the road because that is where we roll up our sleeves and get to mm -hmm. work as mediators. And it's such a delicate balance. I don't know if you feel this way, Joseph, but I think it's such a delicate balance as a mediator because you really do want them to trust that you have both of their best interests at heart. Whatever comes out of your mouth is not meant to favor one person over the other. I mean, that, that's horrible. If anybody thinks that, I, I get mortified um, because that's not where I'm at. You don't know them. And so how would you come in and find favor with one person over the other? But they're stuck. And I love that part when they're stuck. And now you can say, okay, and here's your act of listening. I heard you say this, and this is mm -hmm. what you would like to do. I heard you say that, and this is where you would like to do. But what I didn't hear was this, uh, and or 
do you hear that you each are sharing a portion of what you each want similarly? And they don't hear it. You know, they don't hear where they agree. Do you find that? Yes, I, I find that often. Uh, and I guess it's because they're both so mad with each other or so frustrated with the situation that they can't even self see that they, they're both saying that they want the same thing or they both actually um, is, is right at resolving their own dispute. But the minute you project it out their form and you say, hey, how about this? It's the same thing they've been talking about for the last, you know, 45 minutes. And but when it comes out of the mediator's mouth, it's like it's like it's written in gold. You know, <laughs> they're like, OK, that's a trustworthy source. That's what I want. Let's go for that. And you're like, so we just said 45 minutes. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just, it's funny. It's such an interesting process. You know, years ago when I first started, I realized immediately the second a mediator thinks they know how to resolve the issue they've lost. Mm -hmm. There's no way before you can sit in front of both parties talking to each other that you really know what's going on. When you do your, um, I, I don't know if you do this, do you talk to each party separately before the mediation just to get a sense and feel for who they are? It depends. Um, if it's a big case, my big case is sometimes um, I get the files, still both parties would send me out their files and, and things that they're talking about, then I'll review it. And then I'll determine, okay, maybe I need to actually talk to them um, separately, find out what's going on. But I always let the, the other side know what's going on. I say, hey, I, I'll be talking to, you know, Miss Catty, and I'll let Miss Catty know I've been talking to Mr. Jones, you know, and Mr. Jones said, you know, it's fine. I just want to let you guys know. But I always send an email out to them and say, hey, I just want to let you guys, both parties understand that I have some questions that I like to talk to both parties. And I like to consent to talk to each one of you guys separately before we have um, our mediation date. Um, and, you know, both parties are normally fine with that because, again, they both want to resolve the dispute also. And they need they need to understand. Sometimes the mediator need to understand what's going on before we go inside there. Because the minute you sit down inside that mediation room and you're talking with them, again, and I always tell my clients, it's a cost saving for you. I don't want to go in there if you want if you're paying for three hours. Um, I don't want to tie up for six hours because the first three hours was me trying to figure out what was going on. So. They always like that little pre-hearing type deal. But again, every mediator does things different. But I feel like you. I feel it's more flexible, cost-effective, and time-effective um, to actually assist them with something like that. Um, do attorneys attend the mediations? Or since you get your uh, clients from attorneys... Or do they prefer not being in the mediation room by and large? Um, and and that, again, that's dependent um, on the situation. If it's a heavy, heated type of situation, then I, it's usually both attorneys going to be inside it. But respect to the attorneys, I always ask their permission to talk to their clients separately um, or allow me to talk to their clients because usually when attorneys involved, you actually have to talk to the attorneys versus the person. And that's why I always ask the attorneys and say, hey, can I, can I, is it okay for me to talk to your client? Because I don't want the client to feel like they're not involved in the process. And sometimes um, when you have both attorneys, both attorneys, you know, they all want to win because that's, <laughs> attorneys have a winning spirit. That's attorneys. They want to win. They want to beat the other side. That's what their job is about, getting the best for the clients and getting a win. But um, sometimes when you do that, I think it makes the, the um, dispute um, longer and I like to shrink it down. So if they let me allow me to talk to their clients, it helps to make them feel involved and it moves the process along a whole lot better than expected. Um, but sometimes, you know, I'll ask attorneys, do you want to be involved in the, um, in the mediation? And, some attorneys would say, no, I've um, worked with you several times. I know what you're capable of doing. So they'll allow me to go in there by themselves. And they say, just send me a report on what 
turn up. And sometimes I've solved that problem and, and all they come in do is say, hey, what's the settlement we're going to go for? <laughs> so they come in and do the cleanup because that's what they do. And uh, you know, I, I work with some very smart attorneys who actually they're in the best interest of their clients. Yes. You know, I um, I have been blessed by having marvelous attorneys attend mediations when there are attorneys attending. I generally have found it's the the person who doesn't feel as confident as the other spouse bringing in an attorney to help communicate for them. But I always like to make sure the client is participatory in the mm-hmm. discussion because worst case scenario is then the client is mad at the attorney for making a deal that the client really didn't want. So, you know, let's make sure the client's wishes, as you said, are represented properly. Do you And I like to interject also that um, I always ask the attorneys that if they got full um, power to um, negotiate on behalf of the client, because some I've gone in several mediations uh, where the attorney says, wait, I have to call the client. I don't have full power to make a decision. Uh-huh. Yeah, so sometimes the, the client, you, everybody has a client who is demanding, in charge, and hey, if they're paying the tab, they're against, I guess, the, your boss at the same time too. So <laughs> you're going to meet one or two that's going to say, listen, I'm going to give you authorization up to this point. After you meet this point, you need to pick up the phone and call me. So I've been in, in mediations like that where you, they've gotten on the phone and, you know, they say, hey, um, we've made this point. We had that, we had that mark. What do you want to do? And they say, okay, since we had this mark, this is what you need to do. I'm, I'm willing to settle on this particular item. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening. It's going to continue to happen because, again, every case is not a cookie cutter. It's, it's always different. But the attorneys know what they're doing, but um, it just gets frustrated for the other side when the other attorney goes, hey, my client gave me full authorization. What's going on over there? <laughs> okay, so in that type of a situation, are there just two attorneys in the room negotiating with each other and you're the mediator? Or in the scenario you just described, would there be an attorney representing a client who wasn't there? And on the other side, an attorney with their client. Um, most of the time, it's uh, the attorney um, and attorney. So you have the, the you have the client sitting. You have the client sitting right there. And the attorney is just the mouthpiece. So the client, the client sitting there because they're paying the attorney. So the client really don't want to speak. And that's what's it. Sometimes I'll ask the attorney because um, if I have a question, I feel like maybe the attorney didn't know something. Like something, you ever feel like something has been missed that the attorney didn't ask? And you ask the attorney, hey, is it okay for me to ask a question? And then you ask that question, and then the attorney eyes open up like, wow, I did not know that. <laughs> and that's an honest attorney, you know? That, yes. That's a genuinely honest attorney who doesn't try and cover up, but just, I didn't know that. Thank you for asking. That's great. Yeah. Joseph. Because that helps them too to move it, to move the process along. Yeah, you know, I just want to say something about attorneys. There are some awfully wonderful attorneys out there in family law that don't consider it a cesspool of money and just keep racking up hourly uh, bills just to make money. There are some really good people out there. And then there are the opposite. And so you really do have to pay attention to the attorney that you're hiring And don't let things get out of hand. If your attorney doesn't reflect who you are and the way you want to behave and the way you want to be represented, take control. Yes. Right? Yes. I've had had an awesome opportunity to work with some some attorneys. I've I've worked with one a couple of weeks ago. Just amazing. He just turned to me and he said, listen, you know, let's call this an impasse. He says, I don't have all the facts. You just shed some light on some stuff and I'm not going to do the injustice to my client. I need to follow up on those those questions that you asked that open up to some things that I didn't himself know. You know, he was like, I did not. Because when the other attorney mentioned, um, and I can't get into the confidential, but when the other attorney mentioned this particular client had 
this particular hidden asset and this other asset. And he was like, wait, wait, wait. That ain't what I was told. I was told this particular, this is all the asset this person had. And when the other attorney said, hey, I'm going to screen share with you and the mediator. And when the screen share and he showed him, well, this person had. I think Joseph froze for a second. You know, these these Zoom mediations are tough, but... We can call this an impact. Well, actually, he said we can do a, a, a continuance because he wanted to do a little more um, research on everything. He said, I would like to come back to mediation to find out what's going on so we could better resolve this dispute honestly. And that was amazing to me that he said that. That, re- that really is amazing. And, and again, that's the beauty of mediation. Because it would play out differently, possibly, in a courtroom. Um, In mediation, you can stumble a little bit. You can be genuine. Mm -hmm. You can say, hold it. I need to catch up. I didn't know this. And like you said, Joseph, I wouldn't be doing my client justice if I didn't put a pause on the mediation. I need to do some due diligence research here. So thank you very Mm -hmm. much. And we'll be back. You know, something and like if it was court and if it was in the courthouse, it'd have been a, you know what, it'd have been a deposition. We'd have to sit down, we'd have to get, you know, maybe some investigators involved and that racks up a hefty price. You know, investigator gotta get involved, it's gotta follow around, it's gotta research a whole bunch of things, you know. Um, gotta go through court records, public records to see what they can find, and that takes time. Those are admin fees that's racking up. Um <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, so that's why I always tell uh, people, you know, mediation for attorneys actually gives them an, a, a window into how their case, can they, can this case win, be won in court on my behalf? Or do I, or do I need more information to actually represent my client? So mediation gives them also, it's a tool for, for the attorneys also to see how strong their case is going to be in court if they have to go to court. Oh, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. That's a really it's cheaper than doing a deposition. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. It it allows them to see what they would be up against if it if it had to go to uh, court to a trial. Yeah. So, Joseph, you also have worked on some very high-profile celebrity mediations in Florida. Now, Jacksonville is in northern Florida. Yes. The celebrities, by and large, live in Miami, Palm Beach, Boca Raton, right? They're concentrated there, or am I wrong? Um, it's shifted. Those were the golden days. Um, you have several places in like around Jacksonville, like Ponte Vedra has some um, very hefty people in Ponte Vedra. Um, you have some, um, we have an area called Nocatee that has some very, that's a newer community that's building up that area. Tampa definitely has yeah. some areas. Um, there's, uh, I think it's Windermere. Is it Windermere? I think so. Um those have some areas. So it's not it's not just Miami. Um, but again, um, being that post COVID and Zoom has taken off, uh, now we don't have to go to any place anymore. Everybody congregates to send you up um if the other person sends them a demand letter for medi- for mediation or engagement letter for mediation, then you know, once you send it out and send them the Zoom information, then that it just makes it so much easier now. So that's what I like about Zoom. You you do like doing Zoom mediations? You don't mind? I like doing Zoom mediation, but I always give my clients the options. I always say, hey, um, I could be personable and we could meet in person at said location. Yeah. Um, but when you're dealing with high profile people, their time is everything. So they, they can't always make it to that location. So if they could do it, like let's say if uh, I was working with someone and it was on set, um, they could take a minute off a set, do the mediation real quick while they're on break, and then jump back on the set. So um, it makes it flexible and easier for everybody. I mean, between Zoom and GoMeeting um, and all these other um, video platforms that's out there, it's, and I, I'm glad that the courts allowed it uh, um, because now it's so much easier for us and even international clients. 
that I work with. Um, you're dealing with guys over in other countries and you got, you got, they got the big screen up and you could see everybody straight down. I call it the, uh, the judgment table, you know, the last supper table. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I, even when I'm doing mergers and acquisitions, when you're doing mergers and acquisitions, you have full on council team that's in there with uh, board members and presidents of the companies and CEOs of these companies. You have you know, probably you can have a room full of 15 attorneys in a room when you're doing mergers and acquisitions. You know, I didn't, I didn't introduce that as part of your background because I just focused on the family law portion and the hostage negotiation part. (laughs) But very fascinating that you've done mergers and acquisitions and mediation. So, I wanted to ask you, because that's a big specialty. I wanted to ask you, though, with the celebrity mediations, um, are they any different than non-celebrity mediations, have you found? There, there's no different. Um, just, uh, their time, they don't like their time being wasted. Um, they like to get in and get out like, like everybody else. Mm. Um, they're very big on confidentiality versus your regular um um, mediators, uh, mediations. Um, they just reg- they, they, the regular mediators um, sessions. They more conf- um, confined with the confidentiality of it. When you're dealing with celebrities, they add another layer of a NDA. So they always want the media to sign a non-disclosure agreement, just because of, of another layer. Oh, okay. Because even though we say it's confidential. Um, they write a, a non-disclosure agreement to hold you accountable. So it's all about accountability with the celebrities in, in case you something, because something's always getting leaked when it comes to celebrities and they don't like their business on front page in the morning, you know? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you don't know what media is out there and you don't know their personal situation. They might take something that a celebrity said and they could go and sell it to a network for like $2 million, yeah. you know? So, so they, they always add that extra layer um, of confidentiality on there, but it, it the, the disputes are a uh, higher risk, um, but they're the same. And you approach, I always tell people, don't look at them as celebrities. Look at look at the situation that they're in and work on the situation and everything is going to fall into place. Some and people get celebrity shock and they go, oh, my God, that's you. And 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 that's where that unconscious bias or, or the, you, you're trying to be impartial. But you're like, oh, my God, it's my favorite celebrity. I got to I got to make sure I push something in their favor. And you can't do that. So sometimes if you feel like you can like you you can't be impartial. Just remove yourself from it and call another mediator and say, hey, look, I have this celebrity client, but I don't know if I could be impartial. I would like for you to handle this case for me because I think it's going to be a heavy conflict for me because this is like my childhood celebrity and I love him to death and I'm I'm all on their social media. I got the pictures in my house, everything. I got like four autographs when we went to a concert or something. So you got to remove yourself because if the other side finds that out later on, then that could be a conflict and you could be subject to some, some, you know, questions to the board that you may not want to go down that road. Absolutely. And you know, what's so funny. I, I got called by a celebrity that I did a, uh, an episode on, I, I, once a month, I do uh, an overview of a celebrity divorce. I look at the aspects of that, case and I compare it to just non-celebrity people having to deal with the same things. Uh, it just is a very, it's a fun window. Sorry about using the word fun, but it makes it an interesting window to look through at your divorce if we're kind of looking at those same aspects with a celebrity. And I've had celebrities as well in the office. I mean, this is Los Angeles. You're going to get celebrity clients at yes. some point. But with each and every one of them, uh, and and I I did get called by a celebrity uh, where I remarked on the divorce, it was just a human being in need. Mm -hmm. That's That's really what it came down to, a human being in need. And all of that celebrity stuff just got melted away and you're focused on the issues and how to help them 
resolve the issues in the way that it works for them. Very interesting. And they, they run in a circle and they always tell their friends. That's one thing about them. If, if you do a good job and, and you um, assist them and you're professional, and I always tell people always remain professional even when you're not in the office because you just don't know who you're going to meet. Oh and a lot of people, they're professional only in the office and they get out there and they're rude to the waiter. They're rude to, you know, the, the, the towel boy at the gym. You don't know who knows who. That towel boy at the gym, you don't know. His dad could be, uh, uh, you know, 20, 30 billionaire guy. And, you know, he's just teaching his son to you have to work for something and you have to just treat people kindly. That's it. You're so right. Boy, but, you couldn't have said that any better. Seriously. But celebrities, they, 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 um, their issues are no different than our own. Um, but a lot of them is because of breach of contract. They're, a lot of their disputes is breach of contract and non-contract, meaning that it was a family friend and I just, we grew up together, so I didn't feel I need a contract. And you're like, I always get a contract. <laughs> Well, that's like writing a prenup on a napkin. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a, I did one of my celebrity episodes on um, a variety of things. One of them was uh, getting a prenup that can stand up in court. And I used Steven Spielberg when he was divorcing Amy Irving. And that was, and I did some research. That was a really interesting one because at the point he was divorcing Amy, she was a working actress. So she was making money, not Spielberg money, but he had already done some of his heaviest films. He had done Jaws, a bunch of heavy duty films. So he was worth 200 million. Mm -hmm. They did not go to an attorney to get a prenup. He wrote it on a napkin. Can you guess what happened when Amy? Uh, contested the prenup in court. What happened? Nothing. He got nothing. He, he had to divide the two hundred million. <laughs> it wasn't a prenup that could hold up in court. I mean that yeah. that to me was quite surprising because I know who his attorney is and was, and he's had the same attorney for a million years. Who's a phenomenal attorney in town. Okay, I want to finish with one thing: the human side. You have an autistic son. Yes. What's it like being a dad of an autistic son? What kind of additional responsibilities? Um, what's it like caring for him? And will he always need what we call adult child support? Yeah, he. Um, it's uh, it's challenging. Um, like you know, if I. Like me, I like to listen to my music loud um, and he can't listen to too much loud stuff. So he always wants it. He'll say, dad, turn it down. Can you turn it down? And I'm looking at him like, you know, I'm trying to get into my workout in the morning, you know? <laughs> so it's challenging, bright lights and things like that. Um, you know, he, he doesn't like too much of that, but um, it's challenging. Again, it's, it's, it's very challenging. Um, his speech has gotten a lot better. Um, but he's, he's, he's very smart, very knowledgeable. Um, he's uh, the strongest person I know because um, he, he, he does a lot of things, even though um, he's still growing up. Um, but he, he's, 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 you know, he's, he's my champion. And um, he has his challenges in school. Um, but um, again, he, he has a good support team. My sister is, is a good support for me, so she helps me with him, um, his brother, his, his sisters, um, they all pitch in and it's a good support. You know, they're like a little village for us. Uh, that is very sweet. How old is he, Joseph? He's nine years old. He's nine years he's old. Gonna be ten, he's going to be 10 in December. When was he diagnosed? Uh, when he was, I think it was about three or four. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just because the, the loud noise, he always fidget when when there's something loud, bright lights. He just, you know, and, and you needed to get him tested. Um, yeah, what was that like for you as a dad to hear that diagnosis, um, and to know that you were it was going to be a very special relationship you were going to have with him? Um, 
being that I'm from the Caribbean, from the islands, so you know, we always well, me, I can't I can't speak for everybody. I always believe that America likes to put labels on people. Um, I just say that he just have another um issue and he's gonna grow up different. So I never try to put a label on him. But of course, when you're dealing with doctors, they gotta put a label so they could know how to treat it. Um, <laughs> to put it on the paperwork. But I always say he's just different. Um, everybody is just have their own way of dealing with situations. Um, me, I used to have been scared to speak in front of people, but now I'm in magazines. I'm on several networks <laughs> speaking and talking to people. I'm mediating for celebrities. I'm working with some awesome attorneys. So I've, I've blossomed. So I just like to say he's just growing a little bit slower than other people. Um, so we all have our own challenges. We all have our own demons, but we got to fight them off. And, you know, he has his own and we working with him to, to get through all of that. You know, that's really, that's, that's beautiful. What, what I think about, uh, when I learn more about people, the personal sides of their lives, you know, I think about the decisions people make when they become parents. And that's a heavy decision. To consider having a child is huge. And the idea may be great, but the ability may not be. And I, you know, hats off because when you decide to have children, there's no guarantee what your life is going to be like, what your child is going to be like, what your ability to serve your child mm-hmm. is going to be like. And I think it comes there, the parents' ability to serve their children. Yeah. And I got to say, my sister, she is my partner in George and George EDR group. And she takes care of my son when I'm traveling, when I'm doing big you know, big clients and things like that. And I have to sit up and read documents. So I'm doing, I'm working with an arbitration team um, as a panel advisor. And I'm looking over the paperwork that they send out the case files. Um, she's right there with him, making sure, you know, he gets whatever needs he gets. So she, she is my rock also um, to help me and him. So she, she's been there for us from day one. So, uh, you know, I tip my hat off to her because I know my son is not the easiest person, but he's the sweetest little kid you ever met. Oh, I, and I, he bet won't so. share his food with you, but he'll give you everything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? He and I have similar traits. I want my food for myself too. <laughs> yeah. He don't like to share food. <laughs> he'll always give you like a little piece, like a little crumb. He said, here you go. And I'm looking at him like, what is that going to do for me? <laughs> so cute. So very cute. Joseph, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate the time you've taken. I found you to be such a refreshing person. I didn't even begin to tell all of you the certifications, the areas this man has worked in, but it will all be in the show notes. And if people want to contact you, again, it will be in the show notes you zoom away uh, internationally. <laughs> you have no limits to your mediation uh, clients, correct? No, no, got no limits. We, like I said, I've spent a lot of time training, and I, and I like to say this to other mediators: don't settle just for one skill set. You know, go out there and learn. Workman's comp—that's another area that you could do mediation in that a lot of people don't know. Um, you could do mediation for the EEOC. So don't, don't settle for the status quo or the, the template that the past mediators have put out there. Break out that shell, get out of that little box that they're in and go outside and create your own box. Go into HR disputes, go into um, work for HR firms and dispute those uh, employee disputes that they have. So you don't have to, you don't have to work for law firm and do um employment dispute, you could go directly to HR firms that has accounts with these big Fortune 500 companies and go in there and say, hey, I would like to be part of your dispute resolution department and help solve some of these employee relations for some of your big clients. Those are areas that's out there that needs to be filled. Construction also. Construction is a big one. Um, so and this go is and in learn. Your, and all of this is in your background. Yeah. I'm sorry. Keep going. Go yeah. ahead. 
And lean, lean notices, like construction. Construction is heavy right now with lean notice. A lot of people always like to say, the guy built my house, but I don't like the way he built my house. Now I'm not going to pay him. So when the GC puts a lien on the house, that catches the eye. Now they want to go file a lawsuit against the GC and say, he's got a lien on my house. Well, you got to pay this guy. He built your house. You got to pay the guy. So that's another area that um, mediators need to look into, same as eminent domain. And eminent domain, I mean, they can look it up. That's when the government say, hey, this land of yours own, it's, it's in a redevelopment area where we want to increase the population. We need that land. So that's another area that mediators don't go into because they don't know. So I just want to say to other mediators, get out your box. Break up that cookie cutter template that's been, it's, it's done, it's over with. Update yourself because the industry is growing. So you need to grow with the industry and update yourself. I think that's extremely good advice. And may I add that um, Joseph is a certified cannabis mediator as well. Who knew there was that certain type of distinction? So when you look at the show notes and you look at all of his certifications in the different areas in which he can mediate, you will be blown away. And all of this works together to give him tools, perspectives, skills, creativity to solve your mediation. And I thank you very much for for being here and teaching us this, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. My pleasure. And thank all of you for joining us. Uh, Next week, I will leave you with a little cliffhanger. And that is, I will once again present you with somebody left of center, but right smack in the middle of your ballpark and what you need to know. So thank all of you for joining us. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 